Good morning. Happy Sabbath. They uh, took away the little roving microphone, so I have to try to stand still. So if it gets so that you can't hear me because I get anxious and move around, then you'll have to kind of lead me back towards the center and stuff here. Well, this side's much fuller than this side. That's okay, though. So, But I'll look at you over here, too. The balance, yeah, the saints and sinners or something like that, I don't know. Uh, as always, uh, I, I'd like to uh, thank the pastor for asking me to speak today and, uh, and to give my uh, temporary and always disclaimer in that I'm, uh, I'm an accountant and I have a master's degree in accounting and no religious classes ever in my life. So uh, if I say something that aggravates you, wait till next week and Pastor Bob will be back and everything will be good again. <clears throat> forgive, forget, and forge on. Uh, the word or some form of forgiveness shows up 131 times in the scriptures in the Old and New Testament. Uh, the, the definition in the, the dictionary is that forgiveness is the cease to feel resentment to pardon, or to excuse. And today I'm going to ask you all to come up into June the 7th of 2008 because some of you are still living far in the past where someone has offended you and you're still carrying that burden with you. That someone has done something to you so horrendous that you, don't, that, that you think about it all the time. Uh, I want to. How many of you want to go to heaven? I just want to see everybody awake here today. Just about every hand. Now I did that in a children's story down in El Cajon. I I did the children's story and I told them how great heaven was going to be and everything. And and when I got done, I asked him. I says, "How many of you want to go to heaven?" And everybody but little Johnny raised his hand. And he's sitting over here. And I I look at him and I says, "Johnny, you want to go to heaven?" And he goes, no. I says, you mean to tell me that when you die, you don't want to go to heaven? And he said, oh, when I die, yes. I thought you were going now. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure you were all listening here, up here, that you all want to go. Uh, uh, the problem is, and Pastor Paul even mentioned it, sometimes we get so excited about what's supposed to be happening at the end time today that, that we think it's all right for Jesus to come, but just not while I'm still alive. You know, lay me to sleep first, and it'll be okay. And then you can bring on the tri- troubles and the tribulations. But the Lord says he'll be with us through that. And just like when uh, the... Uh, I haven't started preaching yet, by the way. This is just kind of a... So we'll get back to this in a minute. But that, that when, he, when the people... He sent the plagues on Egypt, it did not fall on, on, on his people. And when he brings the plagues at the end of time, it, he will protect us. It says we will see people fall at our right and our left, and thousands will die by us, but, but it will not come near us. So we don't need to be afraid of that. We, we have assurance that he'll take care of us. All right, now I'm back. Okay. That there are things that have happened in our past. And, we, and there are, let, let, let me just read, remember, we, the first thing we read was the Lord's Prayer. And then if we look at... Uh, Matthew 6:14 and 15, which is the next part. 
And it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now that's good. So far that's really helpful. And then 15 says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now we all, in fact, raised our hand a minute ago that we all wanted to go. And so that means that we need to forgive everyone that has ever hurt us. Does that mean that they have to be sorry that they hurt us? Does it mean they have to ask for our forgiveness? Does it mean that they might not even know that they have hurt us? You know, because in my younger days... I used to have a fairly uh, swift tongue and a keen wit. As I've gotten older, it's kind of dulled out. But it would not be uncommon for me to have someone laugh at you at at your expense. And so I've actually, I'm sure that I have hurt people's feelings and hurt them unintentionally where I would think that it could carry some marking scars forever for them. But there are people that are anorexic today that somebody told them that they were chubby when they were a kid. And they carry that with them to to, very, to this day. See, what somebody else says about you affects how we are. We need to forgive those people. We can't continue to carry that on. I was at my son's graduation when he graduated from high school. And the, uh, the kids, the, the student body, they actually thought they, got to, they were a little better than everybody else. And so they, they kind of declared their own holiday during uh, second and third period and decided to go to Laboo's and have coffee and talk about graduation and end-of-the-year events. So all of the student council left school, which was forbidden, and they're over at Laboo's, a, a coffee shop, the equivalent of Starbucks, and, uh, and wouldn't you know it, one of the teachers showed up. And here's the entire stu- council sitting there, all seniors, all getting ready to graduate, all getting ready, looking forward to uh, all the things that go along with that, the senior ball and graduation and the, the trip and things like that. And this teacher comes back and turned all of them in. And they couldn't go to the senior balls and they couldn't do some of the other things that they had been looking forward to because they thought they were above the rules. And so the little girl who was giving the test, she says, I've forgiven my teacher for that, but I'll never forget it. She hasn't really forgiven her at all. She might say she's forgiven her, but she's going to carry that grudge with her for the rest of her life. And when that woman's name is mentioned... All of that nastiness is going to come back up inside of her again. She cheated me out of. So what we need to do is we need to forget and forgive. Some people that have harmed us could very well be dead. Our parents, for example. They may, I tell everybody and I tell my kids on more than one occasion that their mother and I never woke up one morning, sat on the edge of the bed and said, what can we do to mess their lives up? Never once did that. We didn't do everything we could have done. We didn't do everything I would have liked to have done. 
And you can ask any of them, and we were certainly at fault in lots of different areas. But we never did it on purpose. And so we need to recognize that we need to forgive those people, whether they are alive or whether they're dead. We need to forget about that, and we need to keep going forward onto the site. Because every time you think about that, that person wins again. See, if someone made fun of you, someone said something about your ability to do something, and something happens, it pops right back up. Now, we can, in fact, all do our Sabbath school lesson, and we can have a wonderful prayer, and we can have our whole wheat toast and our marmalade and our... Uh, whole wheat grain, uh, eaty stuff and drink postum and we get in our car and head out for work at that high religious experience. Any of you drive to work? Any of you go on the I-10 to work? Sometimes it's not hard to lose your Christian experience on a freeway. You see, because there are some people that, have, that, that still make phone calls on the phone while they're, they're driving and they still hold it. And there are some people that change lanes periodically thinking that they're going to save all that time when they save that one and a half minute going that 45 miles to wherever they are. Um, or someone will cut you off. And all of a sudden now that wonderful high spirit that you had, you have lost that now because you are angry at that person. And, and it can take you hours to calm back down again because of that. I was driving in Sacramento, and I, well, anyway, I was driving in Sacramento, and, uh, and I passed this guy, and, and no, actually I was behind him, and so I got over into the right lane thinking that the right lane would go all the way up to the turn signal. I was gonna, we were going to get off the freeway, and lo and behold... The left lane had to merge with the right lane, or vice versa, however it goes. I have a scar on my arm, and so when I don't have my shirt off, I don't know my left from my right since I quit wearing a wedding ring once I came into this church. So now I, I, so lefts and rights are crazy for me. So if you see me looking down, that's what I'm doing. I'm seeing where my scar is. So anyhow, the, the right lane merged into the left, and I cut this guy off, something fierce. And I'd been behind him, I drove up next to him, then I cut right in front of him. And, oh, he was not happy, let's just put it that way. And we got to the bottom of the, to the, to the stoplight at the bottom, and I quick rolled my window down, and I said, please forgive me. I, have, I haven't been this way before, and so I thought that lane would go through, and I am extremely sorry that I cut you off. And he looks at me and goes, all right. See, so when, when we apologize, when we do something that we either did by accident or we did on purpose, that, that, that it does a lot to calm people down. See, because that guy could have been mad all day long. In Sacramento, they shoot people up there. I mean, we, we have several of those going on up there. You cut somebody off, it, it, he's reaching for his glove box. It seems like a nice place, but it's crazy. And I'm sure nothing like that ever happens down here. Oh, wait, there's some murmuring. Maybe it does. So what we need to do is that we need to go ahead and think about who we have, or who has wronged us. 
And we need to forgive them for that. So that's, there are going to be three things we're going to look at. People that have wronged us that we need to forgive. Because right here in 14 it says, But if you do not forgive those that trespass against you, neither will your Father trespass, forgive you your trespasses. And we learned in Sabbath school today, if we don't have our sins forgiven, we're not going anywhere, except it's going to be real hot and we'll just be right here. And we'll be ashes under the feet of those that were in good shape. So, we need to forgive those other people whether they deserve it or not, whether they ask for it or not, whether they're still in our lives or not. So you're going to go through and you're going to find somebody in your mind that you're mad at or that you've got a grudge against and you're going to forgive them this afternoon. That's going to be your homework, part number one. Part number two is we're going to look at people that are mad at themselves. So, I mean, there are some people that are so angry with themselves that they don't come to church anymore. They don't think, I mean, or, or they, they're sitting in these pews and they're just very angry with them. So how can God love me? And so we're going to look at some of that. And the third group of people that are angry at someone is there are people that are actually angry at God, that he didn't intervene on something that they wanted to do. So let's look at uh, math, or Mark 11.25. Mark 11.25. I'm going to get my second cataract taken care of the end of this or sometime during next month. And so if I take my glasses off and on that, actually I'm going to take them off now so I can actually read, okay? I can't see any of you, but I can see body motion. So if you all start leaving, I'll know. But So, so please hang around. Mark 11.25. And whenever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So that's not just a one-time thing over here in, in Matthew 6. It says right here that if you're sitting there praying, and some of you are wondering why your prayers don't get answered, this could maybe be part of a reason. I mean, when God says when you're starting to pray, you need to be clean. You need to be clean between you and I. Look at Luke 6:37. Luke 6:37. There'll be a lot of them so you don't have to really look, but I'll just tell you anyway. It says, "Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven." So there's a direct tie between our being willing to forgive others and the Lord's ability to forgive us. Now Look at Luke 17, Luke 17, 3 and 4. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So that kind of leads us to believe that maybe we're off the hook. This guy at least asked. And the Lord says that if they come and ask, then you're supposed to forgive them. I went to, I actually have to find the real name of it. I'm sure it's some kind of healthful living that Kaiser puts on, but I call it crazies or us because everybody in there is off their rocker and I was one. And, uh, and so I, I went to this little class that they had to try to, and what I found was that all of the, the phobias and nasty things that I've gone on in my life, there's actually names for those. I mean, I'm not the only one that's like that. 
So that was helpful to find out. But, uh, but one of the things that, that, that we looked at in there was the fact that you need to be forgiving of other people. You need to recognize that there are things that go on in our lives that we can't handle. And they told the story of it that if... I Anybody have son-in-laws that are something less than human? All right, well, good thing my glasses aren't on. Otherwise, we could commensurate. But I, I have to forgive him on a regular basis. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Paul, for that. I could see you shaking your head at me already from down there. So let me put my glasses back on. Uh, but... But they said that if, if you go to your family uh, get-together on, on, uh, on Easter or Christmas or birthdays or something, and your brother-in-law acts like an idiot every time you see him, and you go and say, he's acting like an idiot, you're the one that has the problem. It's not your brother-in-law, because he's an idiot. That's how he's supposed to act. You ought to call everybody you know when your brother-in-law doesn't act like an idiot. You know what? I went to a family reunion. My brother-in-law was civil. He wasn't an idiot. Man, come rejoice with me type thing. So there are times that people... So this one says that if they, in fact, ask you for forgiveness, you're supposed to give it. And sometimes that's difficult in families especially, in husbands and wives. My wife and I, please God, will be married 40 years in April. No, that's not true. That'll be October, won't it? Good thing we don't tape these things. Good thing she's home today. Yeah, when we were uh, when we were married 15 years, I gave her. Uh, see, this is this is a long time ago. I told you we we're going to be 40, so this was 15. So this was 25 years ago. I I uh, gave her uh, tw- 12 roses because they came in dozens, and I'm too cheap to buy three more roses, right? So I came in and I gave her these. Dozen roses, and so in my own little way, I said, "This is for the twelve good years we've had together." <laughs> so she said, "Thank you very much," and she took them into the kitchen and came back with three little roses in a bud vase. She thought we only had three good years together. That reminds me of a story that I have here that I was going to share with you. Some of you may have heard this before, that a man and woman had been married for more than 60 years, and they had shared everything. They talked about everything. They had kept no secrets from each other except that the little old woman had a shoebox at the top of her closet that she cautioned her husband never to open or ask about. For all those years, he had never thought about the box. Then one day, the old woman got very sick, and the doctor said that she would not recover. In trying to sort out their affairs, the little old man took down the shoebox that he took from the wife's bedside. She agreed that it was time that he should know what was in the box. When he opened the box, he found two little crocheted dolls and $95,000 in cash. He asked her about the contents. When we were married, she said, my grandmother told me the secret of a happy marriage was to never argue. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, that I should just keep quiet and crochet a doll. The little old man was so moved that he had to fight back tears. Only two precious dolls in the box. 
She had only been angry at him twice in all of those years. He almost burst into tears with happiness. Honey, he says, that explains the dolls. But where did the money come from? Oh, she said, that's the money I made selling the dolls. So sometimes we have to have other ways that we try to handle our anger and our uh, upsetness with each other. But look what it says here in, uh, in Matthew, Matthew 18.21. Matthew 18.21. This is going to be kind of a continuation of that if seven times thing. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Because we just read about that. It just said seven times. If he comes in one day, you've got to forgive him. So he's thinking he's doing a good thing. Therefore, and Jesus said up to him, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490 And I want to guarantee you that the Lord is not keeping track of those. He's not saying 489, one more sin, and I've got this baby. He is finished. He is firewood. The Lord does not deal like that. He says that he he forgives us our sins and puts them behind us and remembers them no more. And in the morning when you wake up and you say, oh, Lord, I sinned again, he goes, what sin was, you know, what did you do? Because he's not keeping track. Only we keep track. We keep track of our sins. We're the ones that say, well, I've I've sinned again, Lord. So the Lord says that, that you should continue to forgive people no matter how many times they wrong you, no matter who they are. Let's look at self. Sometimes we make bad decisions. I mean, we can be as sorry as we want, but that doesn't change the fact that that we went running through a stop sign and and hurt somebody or that we made a bad decision and we broke up a marriage or that we, we didn't deal with our children like we should have. And some people carry that sin and that, that burden with themselves. I believe that the Lord wants us to forgive ourselves because it's hard for us to be understanding and compassionate. We can be understanding and compassionate with others because we have gone through some of that. But the Lord wants us to forgive it and not harbor that against us. See, because I think that, that when we sin against ourselves, he asks us to forgive ourselves. Because sometimes we do, do terrible things to ourselves, whether we eat the wrong thing or we watch the wrong thing or we drink the wrong thing or we ingest the wrong thing or we're around the wrong people. That The Lord wants us to forgive and be better with ourselves. And it's Satan's job to try to demoralize us. We talked once again this morning in Sabbath school that Satan is in Jesus' ear the whole time he's on the cross telling him what a waste of time, effort, and energy this is. These people don't even care about you. He is called the accuser of the brethren. His job is to make you think that you are not good enough to go to heaven. And in actuality, we are not good enough to get into heaven. I mean, that uh, if it takes 100 points to get into heaven, you can have 99 points. Nobody ever gets 100 points on their own. The only way you get in is through Christ's righteousness. When you are willing to say, Lord, you take my coat, 
my stained nasty coat and give me your glorious righteous coat. Then I have enough to get into heaven. And sometimes we, one of the things that the crazies are us is they talked about negative talk. Oh, you'll never be good enough. I can't possibly do this. I'm never this. I'm never that. that, that that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to take care of ourselves. Look at uh, Jeremiah. It's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, one of the, the major prophets. Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know your thoughts, or I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord cares for us. He wants us to be taken care of. Look at, uh, state. we're going to look in uh, uh, Jeremiah again, Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8. Behold, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then he said, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to him, Do not say I am a youth. Now we're going to stop right there for a minute. And, and that is that, that we have young people in this church that can reach people that we can't. And we need to be patient and loving and kind with them. And you young people need to recognize that if the Lord sends you someplace, that's where he wants you to go. If he has a plan for you, he wants you to fulfill that plan. Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whomever I command you to speak, you shall speak. But do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So you never have to be concerned about whether or not you can do the job that the Lord asks you to do because in giving you the power to go, that he will give you the power to succeed. And look at Psalms 139, 1 and 2. Psalms 139, 1 and 2. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. So the Lord knows us. He knows that we are faulty and he forgives us. We need to be able to forgive ourselves. Look at, and stay in the Psalm 139, look at 13 through 18. 139, 13 through 18. For you've and they're speaking to him, For you formed me in my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Magnificent are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, a skillful rot in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when and yet there were none of them, none of them. So the Lord knows the beginning from the end. He sees our lives as it's going to play out. He knows that we are going to make mistakes, but he wants us to be forgiving towards ourselves and take care that we, in fact, uh, are able to move forward in him. And then there are some people that are actually mad at God. I spent a whole year being mad at God once for the silliest reason. He didn't let me hit the lotto. 
because I told him all the wonderful things I was going to do with it. You let me hit the lotto, and then I will give this much money to this, this uh, well, it was, it was a Catholic church back then. I give this much to this church, and I'll, and I'll help pay the fees for the school, and I'll go ahead and pay tuitions for all the kids for the whole year, and yada, 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 and I didn't hit it, and I just got mad. I said, I was going to do a lot of good things with that. You should have let me have that. That was a long time ago, too, I might add, okay? Just... There are some people that get angry with God because somebody died, and he... We don't think that he intervened on their behalf or that there was an illness or we have financial problems or we have situations that in fact affect us. And we think that if, if he was really a loving, kind God, he would have fixed that. He would have taken care of that. He would have healed that person. He would have healed me. We don't see the whole picture. Life is like a jigsaw puzzle. And we get to see one little bitty picture of, or one little piece of that jigsaw puzzle at a time. And we won't know how that whole piece plays out until we are in heaven and we get to see how it goes. Oh, I see how come this had to happen. Because God is a loving God. But he does chasten those that he loves sometimes. He has to get us back in line. I love it when uh, in, in Job, where, it, uh, where the guys are all sitting around talking. I mean, basically, God doesn't show up to like chapter 38. So for the first 38 chapters, they're just talking back and forth about how nasty things are and stuff. And finally, God shows up in chapter 38. Let's look at chapter 38, verse uh, 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 8. Or who shut up the seas in their doors when they burst forth and issued from the womb? Or verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days of length and caused the dawn to know its place? One other one talks about, have you seen the hail that I have saved up for the final days? So, I mean, there are in fact hailstones that weigh talents, big hailstones, that he's had from the beginning of time that he's going to use at the end of days. So, I mean, when you wonder whether the book of Revelation talks about hail falling from the sky, that the Lord has that all made up already. I mean, we don't see the whole picture. We only see a little piece of the picture at a time. And sometimes we get in our little... We want to put God in our box. We want him to answer our prayers. We want him to... Uh, the pastor did a sermon on this several weeks ago, is that we treat him like a waiter... You know, I mean, we tell him what we want, we tell him when we want it, we tell him how we want it prepared. And if he doesn't give it to us that way, then we get mad at him, or we badmouth him, or we don't give him a tip, or we tell everybody we know, don't go back to that restaurant, they're not good people over there. See, when we really need to recognize that we are the servants, and he is the almighty God that created us, that he wants us to be all we can be. Uh... Nehemiah, it's also in the Old Testament. Don't look there. It will take you too long to find it if you're like me. So I'll just read it to you. Nehemiah 31:34. Nehemiah 31:34. No, Nehemiah 9:17. I should have left my glasses off. Nehemiah 9:17. They refused to obey 
they were not mindful of your wonders that you were among them, for they hardened their necks in their rebellion. They appointed a leader to return to the bondage, but you are God, ready to redeem, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. You did not forsake them. So even though when we don't feel that we are in fact doing what what we ought to be doing or we're mad at God, he is always willing and ready to take us back. And we need to recognize how small we are in this whole picture of things. That we are, we are maybe big in our own mind and in our own little area of expertise, but we're just a very small portion. They were talking about how God must feel in the new or in the Adventist world that comes out, when you get that, you should look. And in there, Mark Finley has a little article, and it says, how many of you really ask God how his day's going? Or see how he's doing? And it says, and if you wait for the answer, it'd say, well, I went to 100,000 funerals today, and I'll go to 100,000 funerals again tomorrow. And I was with every battered woman, every hurt child, every hospital room. God is immensely pained by this universe, and we need to hurry up and finish the work and get so we can get on to being home. I'll close with this other little story here. It's called the dart test. A young lady named Sally related an experience she had in a seminary class given by her teacher, Dr. Smith. She said Dr. Smith was known for his elaborate object lessons. One particular day, Sally walked into the seminary class and knew that they were in for some fun. On the wall was a big target, and on the nearby table were many darts. Dr. Smith had told the students to draw a picture of someone that they disliked or someone that had made them angry and that he would allow them to throw darts at that person's picture if they wished. Sally's girlfriend drew a picture of a girl who had stolen her boyfriend. Another friend drew a picture of her little brother. Sally drew a picture of a former friend putting great detail into her drawing, even even drawing pimples on her face. Sally was pleased with the overall effect she had achieved. The class lined up and began throwing darts. Some of the students threw their darts with such force that the targets were ripped apart. Sally looked forward to her turn and when and was filled with disappointment when Dr. Smith because of time limits, said the student should return to their seats. As Sally sat there thinking about how angry she was because she didn't get her chance to throw the darts at the target, Dr. Smith began to remove the targets from the wall. Underneath the target was a picture of Jesus. A hush fell on the room as each student viewed the mangled picture of Christ. Holes and jagged marks scarred his face. His eyes were pierced. Dr. Smith only said these words, Inasmuch as you have done this unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done this unto me. No other words were necessary. Tears filled the eyes of the students, focused only on the torn picture of Christ. 
We need to know that those that have harmed us are loved by Christ. And that when we, in fact, do not forgive them, it serves two purposes. One is that he is unable to forgive us because he says that we have to forgive them if we want to be forgiven. And second, that the torture that we cause them uh, is also painful to him because he, and he lives in all of us. And that what happens to them happens to him. So today I would ask that when you go home this afternoon, I would ask that you would go through your, your memory and see if there's a person that has harmed you that you have not fully forgiven. I would ask that you look through and see if there's some, something that you're holding a grudge against yourself, that there was a bad decision that you made that has cost you financially or cost you spiritually or cost you relationship-wise, or that if you're mad at God for one reason or another, that you cannot embody everything that he has for you because you have some grudge against him because you don't believe that he intervened as he could have. Just know that he knows the beginning from the end and he wants us all to be saved. So that's what I would pray that you would do this afternoon, that you would go and you would think about that and you would clear your heart with God so that he can, in fact, clear the scroll with you. Uh, if you would please rise and we'll sing the uh, closing song, Nothing Between My Soul and My Savior. That that's what we all want. We don't want to have anything between our soul and our Savior.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can come together and share your word. Thank you for being willing to forgive us. We ask, Lord, that you will, in fact, send the Holy Spirit to each of us here today and help us to find those things in our life that we have not actually forgotten or forgiven. Lord, we know that there maybe there's someone we have to call. Maybe there's someone we have to see or write. Give us the strength, Lord, to do that and to ask for their forgiveness. And that we ask for your forgiveness. Let us all come up to June the 7th, 2008, Lord. Don't let us be caught in our past. Let us be willing to accept today that you can give us enough grace to make it through today. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.